because I actually cried during this episode, and I may tear up again during this video. Make it a little bit emotional, just uh, just a little bit. Let's start at the beginning. I love the intro. The uh, it's a really long teaser, several a uh, couple minutes actually, but I love it because it's the Neelix that Neelix should have been. That Neelix in my, you know my Neelix as I like to call it is. It is the Neelix that is. Helpful. In fact, I, I put notes here. It is the helpful, helpful Neelix, the useful Neelix, the Neelix who wants to and succeeds at taking care of others, who has become assimilated into this family unit that is Voyager. I'll talk more about that in a minute, but I just love that it showed that he was actually appreciated. They weren't always just cracking jokes and, ah, oh, your cooking's bad, your cooking's bad. I think I made it clear back in season one and two how much I freaking hated that ongoing joke about, oh, yeah, Neelix's cooking is totally terrible. I like how they actually appreciated him and valued him as a valuable member of the crew. Chakotay has a line much later about how even seven, even seven, actually noted that Neelix was a valuable member of the crew and therefore was worth expending resources on saving. <sighs> There's no way I can talk about this episode without spoiling things. I know that sounds like weirdness, okay? Spoiling for a Voyager episode. But I'm just going to say this right up front. As I've been going throughout this whole series, across the last two years, I think I've been doing this now? A while. I've been taking notes on the side. I've still got the pad. It's like my old... You know, it's all beat up and rusted because it's so old. But I've been taking notes on this pad. Whoops. Right here. Of episodes because I knew towards the end of this, all the way back then, and I still plan to do this, I was going to do a kind of a top and bottom of Voyager thing. I'll be doing this with all my television ruminations. And so I'm taking note of episodes because... I could do that before, but I'd rather do that after I've rewatched them with analysis mode full on. You'll also remember that uh, early on I had another feature as part of my Voyager thing of what I felt of it now versus how I felt of it then, which was dropped because it felt kind of redundant and unnecessary and nobody liked it. Uh, and, you know, so it was ejected as part of the show. I mentioned this because... I want you to watch this episode because it is an, it is it, it is immediately qualified for that top five thing. This was a good episode by my memory, but rewatching it with analysis mode on, oh my god. This is a contender for my favorite Voider episode. Now I say that with just a little bit of cringing, because I just can't I, I'm so picturing so many people are gonna watch this and be like, huh? Why do you like this episode? Or I'm picturing people who have watched Voyager are going to say, This episode was terrible. What's wrong with you, Arsh slash Lore Runner? You know. We'll see, I guess. But I do mean that recommendation sincerely. This is your chance to pause the movie and go watch it. It's okay. I'll wait. I'll be... I'll be here. Okay, let's move on. Um, one of the nice little tidbits is... Uh, Seven actually, and this was done on purpose, by the way, by the creators of the show, who thought the Kazon were pathetic. They actually wrote into it that the Borg encountered the Kazon and refused to assimilate them. In the realm of Star Trek, I'm not actually sure there is something more insulting than the Borg looking at you and saying, No, we're not going to assimilate you. Yeah, that's the Kazon for you right there. Now, uh, 
I want to talk really briefly, and I do mean very briefly, because i got a lot to talk about the episode proper, about the original storyline for this episode. It actually went through like three drafts, which is why I'm only going to share this one with you, because the original, uh, the original, original, original draft had was completely unrelated to this and had to do with like uh, a, a person who enjoyed death and so kept tricking the doctor into killing him. It was just kind of creepy. And then we had a storyline uh, that and that idea got latched onto, and they they bought that and, and reworked it into a story about Miss Wildman, Ensign Wildman. Uh, dying, but then being brought back, but not correctly, and she was, and when I say not correctly, I mean zombie. She was basically a zombie. Not not like an eat-your-brain zombie, a fully capable of, of speech zombie, uh, like you have seen in some things, I'm sure, who was actively trying to kill her daughter, who at this point is a year and a half old, I remind you, um, because that way they could be together in death forever, etc., etc., People in charge of this show wisely decided that that was a little bit too much for Star Trek. I talked about this before, actually, way back in uh, Darkling. There is a, a defined skill in knowing where the line is and then not crossing it. And, and I think that would have been crossing the line, personally. But I also have to admit that this episode, we would not have gotten, again, one of my favorite episodes, if, if not for that. I'm going to say right now what one of the reasons why this episode is my favorite, and then I'm going to give you uh, examples as I go through, because I notated several of them. This episode has details everywhere. Tiny, subtle little details that, for someone like me who's paying attention, especially when I have analysis mode on, really helps flesh out the story. A lot of continuity nods, a lot of things that actually make sense in context, a lot of things that fit within the story, rather than technobabble, and then things happen. You know, I like that. I like the way they did that in this episode, because they did that all over the place in this episode. It was really good. So... Yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and talk about it. Um, Neelix dies in this episode. Now, the definition of death is actually more vague than you'd think, even in real life. In Star Trek, it's even more uh, uncertain, because Lord knows they have actually res resurrected people from immediately or recently dead more than once, just in this show, never mind in across all of Star Trek in general. So the definition of death is a little... But Neelix was dead for, I think they said 18 hours. I forget the exact amount. I'm sure 20 people are going to comment saying what the exact amount was. But uh, a long time, for all intents and purposes. To be brain dead for that long is basically past the point where you can do anything with them, even by Star Trek standards. Unless you're Borg. And I think that's one of the things I like about their usage of Seven and the Borg in order to bring him back in this case. Because of all the things, that's one I could just swallow immediately and without question. It makes so much sense in context. We've already seen that the Borg can regenerate uh, drones and their ships way past the point where, where they should be able to. We've also actually seen them literally animate dead tissue before, effectively Borg zombies. And we will see them in the future do things in a similar way. So I guess my overall point is the idea that the Borg can re-stimulate drones that are way past what most other people would consider salvable makes sense to me. It makes sense especially because it is still limited and finite. This is a critically important thing. If the Borg could just cure death, 
then that doesn't really make sense. The Borg should always win, and the moment the Voyager crew has access to this, they should always win. The Borg cannot cure death. They make a specific point, and this is one of those detail things, they make a specific point of mentioning they can only salvage drones up to a certain point at the absolute maximum, 72 hours, I remember that, and they can only salvage them if some of their neural tissue or some of their uh, processes and synapses are above a certain level of acceptable activity still, right? In other words, and... And when they actually do this procedure to bring Neelix back, by the way, spoiler, Neelix dies, um, when they do this procedure to bring Neelix back, it's still a barely situation that only semi-worked and might not have worked had they not specifically tailored this uh, situation to him. And even then, he was not perfectly fine. As shown in the later, later in the episode, he actually basically has a relapse of death. But again, that makes sense because he is effectively being sustained by nanoprobes or nanites within him, which are then trying to get it to his cells, can then start sustaining themselves. So this is not a quick and easy fix, and it's not something you can just do any time. So it helps to explain why they don't choose to use this on every other crew member who dies from this point on. That being said, there are a few times when I think a crew member died and they could have actually used this method to save them, but whatever. We'll talk about that later. <sighs> Later as in, in other episodes where it comes up. Or I might forget to do so, but whatever. I just like that they bothered to put the detail in there to emphasize that this is not just a magic cure-all. I like that. One other little detail I want to mention, though. During the scene while they're resurrecting him, they make it a point of calling him, referring to his lung. Singular. Again, it's a tiny little detail, but I like that it's there. Because for those of you who remember, Neelix only has one lung. Kess took his other lung. Or, no, uh, he, I'm sorry, I'm saying that the wrong way around. Chess took his lung. No, no, he offered his lung, or sorry, he was offered his lung. God, I'm getting the directions wrong. He was offered a lung from Kess. He actually has Kess's lung in him. So he is actually only operating on one lung. I know it's a tiny little detail, but I love it when, when they bother to put the attention into detail like that. Um, so, Threshold, I want to talk to you for a moment. Come here, Threshold. Get out of the corner. Go ahead, take the dunce. No, take the dunce head off. Threshold. Threshold, no. The dunce head is not a urinal. You know what? Stay over there, Threshold. Threshold, I just want to say something to you. This is how you make a character death happen. And even make it happen early in the episode, by the way, just like Threshold did. And make it actually relevant. Because what they did was they made the death matter to the overall point of the episode. As weird as this sounds, the point is not that Neelix died and... and or, I mean, the drama is not that Neelix died and then he came back destroying the drama. The point is he died and came back. The drama comes from him coming back, not from him dying. It's a unique situation. In fact, I'm actually having trouble coming up with any other Star Trek episode that has really done a good job of this ideal. Uh, one could argue that Coda tried, uh, and I would argue stringently against that. By the way, Coda is in, uh, in the list for my worst episodes as we're going through this, but whatever. Seriously, though, the whole point of this episode is that Neelix came back. I'll talk more about that as we go through here. Uh, another little detail thing. Seven actually, Neelix actually turns to Seven and says thank you, and Seven says, I would have done it for the same for any other member of the crew. Pause. But you are welcome. Little detail. Nice little showing that she is slowly starting to evolve and grow in her character. 
And again, I like little details. And it's also a callback to, uh, I forget the name of the episode, forgive me. It was a recent one. Uh, Day of Honor, where uh, she learned to say, you know, you are welcome, that kind of a thing. Um, Ethan Phillips. I've uh, Every now and again, uh, I've never actually had one of my viewers challenge me on this, but I've discussed Voyager with a lot of people before I started doing a, a television show on it, or a YouTube show on it, excuse me. And I've had a lot of people challenge me on certain things. They look at me and say, you know, I say things like Robert Beltran, is a good actor. Ethan Phillips is a good actor. Garrett Wong is a good actor. And they look at me like, you're crazy. They don't do Jack. And so I always had to go out, and, and this is one of the reasons I have some of these memorized to this day. I'd go out and be like, well, what about this episode? Well, what about this episode? And they look at it and be like, well, they were good there. And I was like, yes. When they are allowed to be good, when they have good directing, good script, you know, when, when the pieces fit together and they do something with the characters, something amazing happens. But Ethan Phillips, of that list of people, I mean, Robert Beltran isn't bad, and Garrett Wong isn't bad. Both of them are decent actors, but Ethan Phillips is a genuinely talented actor. Um, I want to diverge for just a moment, because Ethan Phillips was originally brought onto the show to be Quark. No, I don't mean literally Quark. I mean, he was going to play Quark 2. That was what Neelix was originally designed to be. The problem with that, well, there's a billion problems with that, but the biggest problem with that is the fact that the writers who developed Quark bothered to make him a character who reacts differently based on different stimuli. Now, I know that sounds weird, but that is actually what being a character, being a person, tends to be about. Just because I like kittens does not mean I will always approach any kitten-related scenario in one direct path. That's what a caricature does, and that's what a lot of writers do. A character will always act according to this stringent thing, because it is actually, it, and I'm not necessarily uh, blaming either, because it is actually difficult to write a full-fleshed-out character. One of my favorite examples of this, if I can diverge even further, uh, I forget the name of the episode. I think it's the episode Jem'Hadar, but it's the episode where the Jem'Hadar are introduced over in, in, in DS9. And Quark, you start off the episode thinking that he's going to be, you know, comic relief, zany, you know, ha, and then it switches over from that, and Quark actually starts getting upset at Cisco's attitude towards him and starts actually hitting him with some genuine points about the situation. And then he gets into the thing and he freaks out completely because Quark really is not fully prepared to deal with that situation, but, and this is the wonderful subtlety of that performance, and this is what I'm why I'm talking about here, Quark is sufficiently intelligent enough to portray his genuine fear more strongly than it actually is so that people underestimate him, which eventually helps lead to their actual release from the situation, unlocking the collar, getting that feeling, etc. And then, again, showing that intellect that, that's, that's under Quark's surface there, when he discovers the big secret, which I will not spoil here for anybody who hasn't seen DS9 of this episode, but when he discovers the big secret, he doesn't announce it, he doesn't confront people right up front, he doesn't say, ha-ha! He pulls Cisco aside quietly and says, we need to talk. Because he understands fully the implications of what he's saying. That's why Quark is such an amazing character. Admittedly, um, Armin Shimmerman helps tremendously. But again, Ethan Phillips could portray that role just as well, which brings me back to my point. The writers of Voyager had no idea how to do that kind of character. And the main reason, and I've, I don't think I've ever fully talked about this before, so forgive me for really talking about Neelix here, but the main reason is of the three head writers uh, who, are, who are doing Voyager, especially in season one and two, all of them had a different perspective on what Neelix should be. This is why we kept getting the Neelix is a bad cook. This is why we kept getting Neelix knows everything about everything. And then this is also why we got Neelix not knowing anything about anything. 
it was a different bounce back in perspective of the three things. So, uh, they wanted him to be comic relief, an aide, you know, a guide to the to the Delta Quadrant, or another form of comic relief in that he was comically inept. Different kind of thing. None of those are really a character, though. In fair trade, arguably for one of the first times, we actually got to see Neelix. I know, we actually got to see him in um, Jutrell as well. But it was one of the first episodes where they actually got to show Neelix. It's one of the reasons I like fair trade so much. And Ethan Phillips acted his heart out on that episode. By the way, Ethan Phillips uh, went on record several times saying that this is among his favorite episodes of Voyager, and I can see why. Moving on. So this episode finally takes Neelix and actually pushes him into a character role. And I love that. He reacts differently based on different stimuli. Sometimes he's, you know, he's... Uh, he, and he does the thing where he... he it's actually kind of similar to Quark. Funny you think about it. He does that thing where he kind of jokes it off or just tries to make it look like it's not an, a non-issue or whatever. When you could see in, his, in the way his ways portrays it that he's actually bothered by whatever's going on. Or he's trying not to be bothered by whatever's going on. And we actually see him uh, when, when he finally loses his temper to the point where he can't actually deal with what's happening to him when he has a genuine mental breakdown. We get to see him... We get to see Neelix with genuine sincerity and warmth and love say goodbye to people because he's about to kill himself. We get to see that in this episode. And Ethan Phillips knocks it right out of the ballpark. For those of you who don't see baseball, he, he does a great job of it. Okay, He does an amazing job of it. i I, I got to mention this now, even though I actually have the note further down. I'm going to mention it again when I get there because it's worth double mentioning. But in the in the in the final scene when they're in the transporter room, so many of the people, the cameraman and the director and and the other the the, the grips and all the there's so many people on the team who are off the off the set watching as Ethan Phillips acted his heart out during that scene on the transporter room, and several of them were in tears. Several of them were literally crying at his performance. It was that powerful, and I can understand that because I was crying too. But I'll get to that. Ethan, but getting back to my point, Ethan Phillips has a quote that, that really struck home for me. The way he says this line is chilling. I died and there was nothing. One of the things I like this is this episode does, and I, I like this when Trek, I like this when anything does this. I like it when certain matters are left up to the opinion of the viewer. I mean, I like definitive stuff. Don't mistake me, I really do. I mean, I'm a continuity hound, for God's sakes, and I like little details. But every now and again, I like certain types of things to be left up to the opinion of the viewer. What's right and wrong, for example, and whether or not something is or isn't. Those are the kind of things I tend to like being left up to the viewpoint of the viewer. For example... It is actually, if you look at this episode, you might think that the episode is definitively saying, there is no afterlife. You know, a very Assassin's Creed kind of perspective. And it's with similar reactions, I might add. But it isn't. Really analyze the episode. Really watch what they say. Really see how they say it. It is very clear, at least from my perspective, that the episode at no point says the afterlife doesn't exist. It is very easy to presume, under certain circumstances, that Neelix simply did not go on to this new afterlife because he wasn't actually going to die. Or that he did, but when his body was resurrected, he did not retain any memories of being there, right? It's not hard to assume such a thing. 
uh, Chakotay himself makes some really great points, too. Uh, Neelix goes through this big thing where all his subconscious is telling him to die. And yet Chakotay tells him, you know, that's just one interpretation. You're just taking the first initial interpretation of one thing. And I love how Chakotay makes a great point. Well, I'm not really big on vision quest or spirit quest here in real life. If that was a thing, if that was an actual thing I could do, I admit that if I got one vision thing and interpreted it one way and then decided to act on that, that would be incredibly foolish. Because what... And, and they emphasize this in the episode as well. That is part of you, your subconscious, your inner self being expressed. And then you have to work at it to figure out what you're trying to say. And, and again, Chakotay gives like two or three different representations of other things that could be interpreted here. Like you're confronting your innermost fear of death. Remember, and this is another tiny little detail that they don't even mention this detail, except for the fact that it is very powerful here. Neelix's fear of death is very potent and palpable. It was the reason he abandoned all his troops, he, he, he deserted back in the war. They talked about this all the way back in Jatrell in season one, I think that was. That has been a part of his character that he has had just quietly in the background for so long. So he actually being genuinely terrified of death and looking at the situation like that, that make, that's a great interpretation. Another interpretation is, of course, walking away from it. He mentions it, uh, he just says it better than I'm going to, but you know, walking away with a stronger faith. In other words, <sighs> Knowing that this is a situation which is unusual, and again, is only being interpreted in one way, and therefore, you cannot just leap to conclusions on it. I'm not going to go further into that topic. I just realized I shouldn't go further into that topic. But the final thing, and I love this, because this is my interpretation. And since this is my show, that's the one I'm going to share with you. Uh, sorry, if you don't want to hear my interpretation, then I don't actually know what to tell you. Um, whether or not the afterlife is real or not, in my opinion is immaterial. No pun intended. Because Neelix already has his great forest. Remember how he describes it. I wrote it down. Where is it? Where is it? Hang on. I thought I wrote it down. Maybe I didn't write it down. Shoot! He describes the great forest. Ah! I don't see where it is. I don't think I actually wrote it down. He describes it. Every He describes it several times. And so does little Naomi. And, um... They, the way they describe it, it's almost too obvious, you know, but I, I'm not going to ding them on that because it's great the way it's presented. He's describing Voyager. All your friends and all your family are there to watch over you so you can sleep safely. And the fact that they'll be there to comfort you and protect you and know that they're going to be there for you when you get back. You know, all these things. And then there's that wonderful heart-rending scene where they start the Neelix, you know, the the... the, the Talaxian holiday. And they all turn to Neelix and they say, you know, I am, they joke about it and they laugh about it, but the word, the sentiment is all there. All those people saying, we are happy you are with us. You are our family, Neelix. It's already hitting me. Do you know what it means and what it feels like to be that loved and accepted. To have that many people embrace you as closer than blood. That is powerful. Forgive me for skipping ahead in my notes here. When they're going on the vision quest, Chakotay says, and I wrote this one down, I know, because I've got it right here. Go to a place where you were the most 
peaceful and content you've ever been. And where does he show up immediately but Voyager? In the mess hall with all his family there. Because of course he does! Where else would he be? We know what Neelix's life was like before Voyager. It wasn't even necessarily bad. It was just normal for most Talaxians and aliens in the area. I mentioned this back in Fair Trade. I've mentioned this since then in other episodes. Voyager is effectively a paradise. But that's just from a mundane perspective, a survival perspective, you know, comfort and food and warmth and, you know, all in the holodeck and all these other comforts. That's just from a plain mundane perspective. Add on to that those people. Your family. I'm reminded of a quote Tom said much later, in fact, in the very last episode of the entire series in Endgame. Uh, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly how he says it in context of the conversation, but Tom says, I am home. One of the things I do love that they got across every now and again, just every now and again in Voyager, was that feeling of how strong Voyager had become their home. Not just a ship, not just, you know, a crew, but the place they belonged at. It's the one thing Voyager had the potential for that... Well, DS9 also had potential for it, but really, TNG and the original series did not actually ever get across or try to, because they had you know, shore leave, and they had other planets to go to, and they had other explorations to do. Voyager, all they have is that ship, that closeness, that togetherness, and every now and again, Voyager got across that feeling that we are such a tight-knit family. We are the Horde, for those WoW fans out there who remember Vol'jin's wonderful speech. I love that. Tuvok went ahead and agreed to his intro to the Talaxian thing. It's another tiny detail. And as I'm with it, he says, uh, where is it, where is it? Uh, yeah, here it is. Neelix, um, Neelix doing his goodbye video. We only get to see a piece of it. It's the one where he says goodbye to Tuvok. Again, continuity. Because remember, Neelix has been trying to earn... Tuvok's respect for so long, or at least kind of behind the scenes. We only saw a few episodes of that, but it was a, it was a thread for a while there, and it really came up in Rise, if you'll remember. I talked about that back then. I love how Tuvok's agreeing to do that intro shows that Tuvok has, in his own wonderfully Vulcan way, grown to respect Neelix. I love that. And... Ah... <sighs> Neelix had a wonderful reaction to all the people embracing him with love and kindness because it broke him. You could see it in his face. Phillips really does a great job of portraying this. It broke him, and I know what that feels like. I don't know how many other people have had this kind of reaction, so I'm venturing into personal territory rather than human nature territory, but for some people, like me, when things are really, really bad and you have no idea how to deal with it, Everyone just loving you and embracing you and saying it's going to be okay actually makes it worse. For reasons I'm not going to go into, I don't want to get into personal stuff, but I can understand that mindset of just breaking, cracking, just a little bit further underneath the weight of all that affection and understanding and caring. The way Chakotay went so far out of his way to reach out to Neelix, went to the part where he actually started making it a, a, a thing, an order, and he was going to track him down, for God's sakes. You know? 
Uh, I also like how Seven continues to develop in this episode. I don't even remember specifics right now. I actually watched the episode a little while ago, and then I took care of the little one for a while. Um, but this is another good example of Seven continuing to develop in small little ways. Uh, ah, that was it. In uh, During the party, she actually goes over and attempts to engage in social chit-chat by explaining how children are raised amongst the Borg. And it's it's horrible, but I like the fact that nobody actually is like, oh my god, you're terrible, and actually tries to push her away so that she continues to have more uh, interaction with other people. And I like the fact that she is trying, even if she is failing. Again, little details. Now here's an interesting question, and this is another thing that the episode brings up. Does it matter what gives you comfort as long as that comfort is sincere? Let me explain what I mean. Let's say the Great Forest is a total lie. It always has been. It was a silly fairy tale. However, if even knowing that, thinking about that concept gives you genuine, and I want to stress this, genuine comfort, not fake comfort, not lying or... or uh, um, uh, de uh, denial or anything like that, but actually gives you real comfort. Is there anything necessarily wrong with that? Now, I would say no, but the episode does leave that up to your interpretation. After all, this is something that no longer gives Neelix comfort. And yet, it still gives the young Naomi Wildman comfort to know these things, even though she doesn't even believe all this stuff and has no concept of anything like religious beliefs or anything along those lines, simply the thought of a great place where all her friends are there to take care of her and, and prevent, you know, pro uh, protect her gave her comfort. Food for thought. I like that Neelix's breakdown, his real breakdown, was with Seven. I forget, I, I wrote it down in a haste, so I don't actually have the exact line, but one of the things he says is, is that what I'm doing? Living. I mention this because if you've noticed, for the last several, several episodes, there's been an undercurrent theme, which will finally pay off uh, in the future Voyager episode, I, I swear, we'll get there, um, of survival versus living. I myself have talked about this extensively, I'm not going to cover the whole topic again, but the theme is touched on again. Neelix does not believe he is living anymore. He is so distraught, so broken, that he actually feels he is surviving now. That he was brought back to survive rather than to live. And the thought of that and how broken he has already become emotionally and mentally literally sends him into conniptions. Ah, just, yeah. Another little tiny detail. The Akuna comes back, which I don't believe Chakotay has used uh, since, like, season two. But the fact that it's still there and the fact that he, he still uses it, even uses the same style of method of doing it, again, tiny details are all over the place. Speaking of tiny details, the other one I missed, it's actually up here in my notes, Naomi Wildman is, in her own way, a tiny detail. She will actually become a regular, a semi-regular uh, recurring character on the show in the future, but they go out of their way... And again, this is what I mean by the tiny details. They, had a, they go out of the way to have a tiny little line between her mother and the doctor talking about how she's been growing at an accelerated rate to explain why she is as, uh, as she is, despite the fact that she's supposed to be much younger and the fact we haven't actually seen her prior to now. So, again, little details, loving it. <sighs> Neelix has a great scene with Seven right before the end. I don't have anything to add to that. It's an amazing scene. Go watch it. 
just just go watch go watch this whole episode but what we see in that is one person who was in many ways where seven is when he first joined voyager the neelix who i talked about this all the way back in worst case scenario the neelix who joined voyager was a very different person from the neelix who we saw in for example fair trade by that point in time, I think he's definitely become the new Neelix. And he is certainly that by this episode. He was someone who, by interacting with these people and by having this family and these, these relationships and these crew and the caring and about him and him caring about them, grew as a person. And his talking to her, he has a great line, which also talks about, it, and I swear this was done on purpose the way he says it, you know, seven or seven of nine or whatever, you'll always just play, be playing you to me, you know, again, talks about the way her character arc is going to go, how she is no longer Seven of Nine or Annika Hansen, not human or Borg, but something new, whatever it is she becomes. I love how they put that in there. But the way the two interact is great, and there's actually some degree of warmth, despite the fact that Seven exudes none. It's a really well done scene. And then, and here it is again, and I told you I'm going to mention it again, Beltran scene with Neelix, with, with, with Ethan Phillips, on the, on the transporter pad was beyond amazing absolutely beyond it that scene knocked it out of the park chakotay's genuine uh, impassioned pleas and he at no point in time and i love this because at no point in time did chakotay say any of the wrong things and i should know and i'll talk about that in a minute and no point did he try to to tell him that he was stupid or they had so much to live for or go with any of the cliched things or any of the things that just don't work he confronted Neelix full, full, right up in the face with the blunt reality of the situation and told him this and this and that and that, and you've got this and you've got this potential and you're just looking at it from one perspective. You know, I talked about that already. It's such a great scene. And then Ensign Wildman comes in. And I love it because Ensign Wildman, I, I, at the time, the very first time I saw this episode, I thought it was deliberate. But reanalyzing this episode, I think that was an accident. I think she literally just wandered into this situation not knowing Neelix was about to commit suicide. And I was like, what's wrong? That scene was poetry, was art, was amazing. But I also have to admit something, guys. Those of you who don't want to talk about me may feel free to shut off the episode now. This relates to Neelix, don't mistake me. Part of the reason this episode speaks to me so much is because... Okay, let me start over. Good quality episodes have to be... You know, the, the Good quality episodes are good quality episodes. That's easy to define. But an episode that is on the top of the cream... I talked about this when I was doing my top 10 games recently, my top 28 games. Something that is that high on the list has to do something more. Something intelligible. Something... Uh, in insubstantial, in something that just reaches to me, or, fe or makes me feel, or makes me, or has some significance or connection to me, right? What most people don't understand is someone who is willing to kill themselves is not necessarily suicidal. Most people who want to kill themselves don't want to kill themselves. They feel it is the best possible choice in a series of incredibly bad choices. What they want is to live, not to survive, but to live. 
what they want more than anything is to truly live. We see this all throughout the episode, how Neelix is so content with his life. And when he goes through something horrible, he goes through something terrible and traumatic, something that most people can't even imagine what going through that kind of thing is like. And after he comes out the other side of that, he is broken. He is in pieces, and he's still trying to sort out what's where and what's what. And in the end, he just comes up with a mess, and nothing is right anymore. He is no longer at peace. He is no longer content. He no longer feels like himself. He no longer feels like he is that member of that family anymore. He is an outsider. He is an alien there, because everything is just wrong. We here in real life treat people like that in completely the wrong way. I've seen two severe extremes in this all over the place. There's the one extreme of people who will treat you like you're a time bomb waiting to go off. And oh my god, don't freak out. Or oh my god, don't kill yourself. Oh, I know you're all depressive, but oh my god. And then there's the other kind of people who treat you like eh, we understand and everything's going to be perfectly okay. And we just want to always be calming and soothing because we know that at any point in time you might decide that you just want to off yourself because you, you had a bad apple or something like that. And, and both of these mindsets treat you like you're an idiot. Treat you like you're not a person. Treat you like there's some kind of taboo about you. Because there is something wrong with you. You are broken. But shoving you away, or locking you away, or drugging you up, or treating you like you're some kind of alien freak does not fix the situation. It makes it worse. I like how in this episode, at no point in time, does anyone treat Neelix's desire to kill himself, which only comes out at the very end, admittedly. So it's really just Chakotay. But I like how at no point in time does Chakotay treat Neelix like he's a freak. Or like there's something, you know, diseased about him. Like it's something infectious and you just don't want to be around it. I like how he treats him like a human being. Instead of actually putting him on some kind of pedestal as some kind of display case thing. If you watch Phillips's performance in the end, he gets across everything I'm telling you in, in just facial expressions. He is so wounded. And when you are wounded that deeply, how can anything ever be good again? How can anything ever be positive again? You, from a third-person perspective, might say, well, of course things will get better. Things always get better. Historically speaking, this has always been true. But when you're in that moment, when you're on the other side of the looking glass, and everything's cracked and dark, you can't see that. People in Neelix's position are not suicidal. And they do not want to die. They just don't see like they have any other choice. But the real defining moment for me speaks to something I hold as one of my strongest personal philosophies. Life is what we choose. We decide what life means. 
we decide what life is, what is worth living for, what is defined as doing more than merely surviving. We all do, each of us, individually. Neelix was desperately trying to live and failing. And then a little girl wanted his help going to sleep. His little uh, goddaughter, I'm not actually sure what the title is there, wanted, uh, wanted his help getting to sleep. And in that moment, Neelix decided what was worth living for, what life meant. My only regret is that this did not change Neelix's character in the long term. Because this will ne basically never be touched again. It's the same thing as back in real life. Huge, traumatic, awesome episode that then never matters ever again. Whatever. I apologize uh, for my vulgarity. <laughs> That's twice this damn series has made me cuss. <sighs> I will uh, see you at the next episode, a little less emotional of episode, if, if memory serves, so. Have a good one. What are you trying to do? I'm going back where I belong. You belong here, Neelix. Not anymore. I died in that nebula. You should have left me. Neelix, no closer! I've created a site-to-site transport. No one can override the signal. You told me you were at peace. I will be. As soon as I tap this control. What really happened in your vision quest? What did you see? My sister, the crew, myself. They all told me the same thing. There's no point in living, and I agree with them. I'm sure those were powerful images, but there are many ways to interpret them. You may be coming face to face with your own fear of death, or the manifestation of your emotional crisis. Your deepest beliefs have been thrown into doubt. It's only natural the vision quest would reflect that. Eleven years ago, I saw my world in ruins. My family murdered. All that's kept me going is knowing that one day we'd be together again. That I'd see them again. But it's not true. And I can't live without that hope. I understand how this can change the way you look at things, but it can also lead to an even stronger faith. You don't know. You're not there yet. Ensign Wildman to Neelix. Answer her! Neelix, please respond. Nope. You're being called back to your life again, Neelix. Don't turn your back on it. We're your family now. It's not enough. It is for us. His function on this crew is diverse. That's what Seven of Lions said about you. Even our Borg understands how important you are on this ship. It's not just the duties you perform. It's the way you make people feel when you're around. That Neelix is gone. I don't think he is. Why didn't you answer me? I had to have the computer track you down. Naomi thought she saw a monster in the replicator. Neelix, what's going on? I'm trying to decide some things. 
That little girl needs you, Neelix. Monsters in the replicator? Who else on this ship can handle that? Duty calls.